0: Welcome to your favourite teacher. I'm going to go through the poem Perfuria's Lover now by Robert Browning. So what I'll do is I'll read through the poem and then I'll talk in a little bit more detail about some of the main themes, maybe some other poems that you might be able to draw comparisons with and also the way in which the poet has presented his ideas. So Perfuria's Lover by Robert Browning. The rain set early in tonight, the sullen wind was soon awake, it tore the elm tops down for spite, and did its worst to vex the lake. I listened with heart fit to break, when glided in profurious straight. She shut the cold out and the storm, and kneeled and made the cheerless grate. Blaze up and all the cottage warm. Which done, she rose, and from her form withdrew the dripping cloak and shawl, and laid her soiled gloves by, untied, her hat and let the damp hair fall, and last she sat down by my side, and called me. When no voice replied, she put my arm about her waist, and made her smooth white shoulder bare, and all her yellow hair displaced. And stooping made my cheek lie there, and spread o'er all her yellow hair, murmuring how she loved me, she, too weak for all her heart's endeavour, to set its struggling passion free, from pride and vainer ties dissever, and give herself to me for ever. But passion sometimes would prevail, Nor could tonight's gay feast restrain, A sudden thought of one so pale, For love of her and all in vain. So she would come through wind and rain, Be sure I looked upon her eyes, Happy and proud, at last I knew, Profuria worshipped me. Surprise! Made my heart swell, And still it grew, while I debated what to do. That moment she was mine, mine fair, perfectly pure and good. I found a thing to do and all her hair, in one long yellow string I wound, three times her little throat around, and strangled her. No pain, felt she, I'm quite sure she felt no pain. As a shut bud that holds a bee, I warily opt her lids again laughed the blue eyes without a stain and i untightened next the tree the tress about her neck her cheek once more blushed bright beneath my burning kiss i propped her head up as before only this time my shoulder bore her head which droops upon it still the smiling rosy little head so glad it has its utmost will that all its scorned at once has fled, and I, its love, am gained instead. profurious love, she guessed not how, her darling one wish would be heard, and thus we sit together now, and all night long we have not stirred, and yet God has not said a word. Oh, quite a mouthful there. So... Furious Lover. What a lovely little poem about love and murder. Um, so it's written by Robert Browning, who is a very famous Victorian poet, um, and really he admired the Romantic poets, um, but he found quite a unique style. And, and this is one of his dramatic monologues, and they often voiced really dark personas. Um, now this title profurious lover, straight away we obviously have the name of the lady, the lover we instantly see this kind of sexual desire, um, perhaps it's something that's an illicit love affair, um, but there's definitely something quite ambiguous about the fact that the man is entitled and that for once it's the woman who, um, and the man almost seems like the object, profurious lover, when actually, when we read the poem, it's it's quite the reverse of that. Um, so, the poem, like lots of these poems, uses pathetic fallacy. And we see straight away that the sullen wind was soon awake. And we've got the wind there almost spying on them. Um, so we've got personification, which we see um, all the way throughout, we see it later on um, that the lake was vexed, which means that the lake was angry. Um, so we've got a, a wind that's awake, and we've got an angry lake. Um, and by giving the uh, natural sort of setting of this, and giving it creates the natural imagery that we've seen in a number of other poems as well. Um, so the poem begins with this. Stormy setting the pathetic fallacy like I said and that might foreshadow the later events because obviously what happens later on we have this lust this romance um, and then we have this strangling uh, And we see really how love and lust and desire and obsession um, Can take quite a sinister turn. So perhaps this this storm might be foreshadowing that and um, so it's worse to vex the lake so we've got the violence of the storm but yet we've got a really romantic beautiful simple imagery as well um the cottage she rose and we've almost it's almost like they're protected from this storm which lures us into a false sense of security um the man sits it says with heart fit to break Um, And we're not really sure why that is. We don't really know why his heart is going to break. But we think that perhaps there's a level of obsession there. Um, She shut out the cold and the storm. So maybe she is this positive uh, force in his life and made the cheerless great blaze up. So we see his feelings um, are definitely this burning passion. And we see it with words like blaze and storm um we've got this and 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 uh which could be you know again showing that he's like obsessed it's like if you're uh, talking about something oh and this and this and this and so and and so the the speaker is definitely someone who is um really well really obsessed with with his lover and he's documenting every single second almost um, so we see uh Perfuria is um, her impact on him she as i said she shuts out the cold and this shows that she is a the sort of positive balance in this he comments about her soiled gloves um that Maybe it could represent something quite like dirty, damaged goods maybe. And we can link this back to the idea of a lover. Something that would be, if that was happening outside of wedlock, definitely something that's damaging, um, something that would be frowned upon. Um, when no voice replies, she makes an appeal for attention by making her white shoulder bare and murmuring how she loved him. So we have this building tension as she's almost seducing him, her yellow hair's displaced um, and she's too weak for all her heart's endeavour. Struggling passion is like a first indication here of the lust and the love um, and perhaps Uh, he takes advantage of that and passion prevailing really here over sense so passion is kind of not just love and longing passion is also anger and suffering and so we've got the deliberate repetition of passion there um, because his anger would sometimes prevail to overcome him And the idea of anger we see later on, nor could tonight gay feast restrain. So this idea of self-indulgence, we know that the Victorian era was one very much of... um, conformity and rules and he he's feeling trapped within these rules within these rules in this life and he's struggling to break free and we see this restraint all of these word choices are quite significant for later when his anger seems to burst out in the form of strangling the poor woman. so even his sort of joy and happiness of being with her can't really help his all-consuming Emotion, and we don't really know whether that what that emotion is, because obviously to start off with it's love and lust, but it turns so sinister. Um, He engages with her. He looks at her eyes, and um, he's still silent. Then he he feels filled with love, and that he is worshipped. Profuria worshipped me. Surprise made my heart swell, and still it grew, while I debated what to do. At this point, maybe you think, oh gosh, so this is perhaps an illicit love affair and we're leading to the temptation being the temptation of her seducing him or them seducing one another. When he's debating what to do, it's whether I should sleep with this woman, not whether I should kill her. So we have really got like this building tension and it is quite a shocking turn of events. That moment she was mine mine repetition of mine the possession there um, which seems to really push him over the edge perfectly pure and good so it's not like she's done anything wrong here but he wants to hold on to that moment forever Um, he doesn't want to let go Um, so I found a thing to do and all her hair well a thing to do is quite a weird way to talk about killing somebody. Um, but none, nonetheless, that's how he refers to it. So we've got juxtaposition here between the perfectly pure and good and straight away something which is pure evil, which is to, mur- to commit murder. Um, so three times her little throat... So this keeps the rhyme, rhyme scheme, but it also delays the horror, because so far he's talking about her with almost tenderness, yes, obsession, but the one long yellow string, we imagine the braid of her hair, three times her little throat around, this is still quite delicate, softly, and strangled her, it's like, goodness gracious me, where's that come from? Um, it's The and strangled her and the full stop. It so catches you off guard. No pain she felt. He's almost deluded and mental here, fooling himself as though this has almost been a very easy, simple transition. When obviously we know that to throttle someone to death with their own hair must have been quite an ordeal. But he's running, with this being the dramatic monologue, there's no, like, breaks in the... There's no different stanzas. So he's just talking about this very casually... I'm quite sure she felt no pain as a shut bud that holds a bee. So he's completely removed himself from the reality here and he's using natural imagery, which lots of other poets do to describe their relationships, but not normally of people that they've murdered. Um, He seems to think that his deed was merciful um, and that he's, She's now sort of protected by him, and it's by using this natural imagery, it's almost like it was inevitable. And that he, you know, nature in the same way that a shut bud that holds a bee is just as natural for him to strangle his lover with her hair. Um, slightly odd. Um, so we've also got some contrasts here where we where he talks about laughing blue eyes and blushing cheek um these are all things that are happening after he's after he's killed her so he's almost imagining um her cheek is blushed as if she was alive basically only this time when her head's propped up um as before only this time it drops when it doesn't have the full control of him which i think says a lot about him so he's enjoying having like this mannequin that he can manipulate having this dead body um that he can use at his pleasure i'm not sure how to read into that too much um Her darling, one wish would be heard and thus we sit together now and all night long we have not stirred and yet God has not said a word. This is just such a creepy poem. There's no two ways about it. It's the sort of thing you see in a horror film. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a horror film that's directly used this as inspiration. And it's really clear to see how love is presented as a destructive force. And the use... um, you know Browning. Remember that this isn't Browning. Browning. This isn't autobiographical. So you don't need to be saying that Browning's a psycho and Browning wants to kill his lover. I don't want any of that nonsense in your in your answers. This is a narrator, but what Browning is doing is he's using methods. He's using imagery. Um, he's using uh, natural. Um, he's, he's sorry he's using natural imagery he's using structure he's using things in a way to show how deranged his narrator has become his speaker um, so things that you could point out really obviously as I said it's a dramatic monologue and it's from the persona the viewpoint of a male lover The whole way through the tone is really sinister and it's quite ambiguous at the start you're not sure you think that it might be um you think that this tone might be because there's scandal and he's going to try and get away with seducing this woman so it's written in a single stanza um and there's lots of rhyme and rhythm and I think that's to show the sort of calm structured I want to say reasoned mind of the narrator obviously he's a psychopath but that makes it even more shocking, the fact that he's been able to keep control the whole way through. And I think control is something that comes out in this a lot. So he wants to control every element, and at the end when he has her dead body, he's controlling that as well. And so we see the control through the um, the different structural choices. The poem explores um, obsessive love, really. And you can talk about, um, you can talk about some of the other poems that you know might explore loss and a different sort of loss, and because certainly this poem um, is one that is quite unique in in how it's well, in what happens. Um, there, but but like other poems, there's lots of natural imagery. Um, there's pathetic fallacy. Um, which is used in this instance uh, to foreshadow. It's used in other poems to foreshadow, but in those cases, it might be foreshadowing a love lost, um, you know, and sense of regret. Here it's foreshadowing this sinister turn of events. As, her usual Victorian era, the woman is voiceless. So whilst we start by thinking, finally, a title of a poem which has the woman's name name in it, not just like Farmer's Bride, um, we've actually got a woman, a a human being. Maybe we're going to see her as being something more than an object. Uh Uh-uh, you were wrong. She is objectified more than any of the other poems. Um, She is just this sexual body um which he has just as much fun um manipulating when dead as he did when alive so yeah it's a pretty sick poem um great lots of things to talk about. I mean, if this poem comes up in the exam and you get it in front of you, there's lots of things you can go through and be circling, scribbling, highlighting, just the constant ands. You can talk about the rhyme schemes. You can talk about instances where you see weather, wind, cold, storm, all of these things in front of you, wind and rain, all of these um, different types of personification, natural imagery, pathetic fallacy, it's got it all um, as always you want to start with first and last lines they're always a really good thing to try and um, look at how where the poem's gone from start to finish so the rain set early in tonight oh okay the rain starts early that set the scene rain outside dark miserable sinister last line and yet God has not said a word So where we have religion, any kind of religious reference, we can link to morality. Why why is God relevant in this poem? Well, probably because the narrator has just murdered somebody and he seems to have gotten away with it. So lots of things to talk about here. Um, Different feelings in this relationship to other poems. But remember that making a comparison isn't just about talking about similarities. It's talking about differences as well. So hope that's been helpful.